You stupid bitch Yeah You're a stupid bitch You stupid Bitch Welcome to our latest episode of Stupid Bitches Say What with your hosts Sean Beano Hipkins and Skylie Collett Tonight we will be discussing pop culture I'm going to be talking about the documentary and movies around Grey Gardens looking into the lives of big and little Edie, who were aunt and cousin to Jacqueline, Bouvier, Kennedy, and Assassin. And Sky's chosen topic is Sex in the City, looking at the books, TV show, the movies, and of course, how could we leave out the feud between Kim Cottrell and Sarah Jessica Parker? What are you drinking, Sky? <laughs> I'm glad you asked, Bino. I'm Wait. drinking... I think I've talked about this wine, but I don't actually think I've drunk it um, on the podcast yet. I have drunk an engine room before. You um, have drunk an engine room? That was the I first have, one. I have, but it was Grenache. It, it wasn't was a Grenache. This, it, right. <laughs> it wasn't the Sangiovese. This is the one that I couldn't pronounce, okay? So oh, this good. is the. Let's settle an old argument. This is the 2020 McLaren Val Cabernet Sangiovese, or maybe it's Sangiovese. I'm not sure. Um, but I'm obsessed with this wine from that first box of naked wines that I got on the cheap that you gave me um, from that You're voucher. Wondering. I got one bottle in it, and since then I have gotten two more cases and I've gotten at least three to four bottles each time, and I just adore it. It is my new favourite. I'm in love. Okay. I'm going to make sure I order it in my next batch. But you like you like a heavier red than me. You're more of a Shiraz Merlot, aren't you? I'm, no, I'm a no. lighter red. No, no, I'm not a Shiraz. Cab Sav for me is a heavier oh, so red. So you are a Cab Sav. See, I always thought you were a bit more of a Shiraz. Okay, well then, I think you'll love it. You'll adore it. I, I'm obsessed. Look, it's Cabernet Blend. I'm mm. in. Um, but I look forward to ordering that in the next batch. I just also got another set through of 12 I like to stock up. Yes. And all your wine clubs. He's in three wine clubs, guys. I was telling Tyler this week about your three <laughs> wine clubs that you subscribe to for deliveries. Well, to and be we fair. were ourselves <laughs> They're not three a month. So there's like one a month where I get the four bottles from Good Pair Days. And there's one I get every two months from Wine Selectors where I get another six bottles. And then probably about every three months, I reckon I do my naked wine orders. I love your justification for that. You still subscribe to three wine fucking <laughs> clubs. And there is like two times a year where the months align. Obviously, the monthly one, but I just get like a massive. Huge, it is, and Christmas is one of them. It's great. I just get a huge fucking set of wine. Finish like that. Fuck's sake, is that another box? It's worse oh. when you drink them all, though, isn't it? And you're like, yeah, shit. I went through those fuckers quick. So. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I messed up you. a bit. I messed up my bit. I had to take my glasses off to give them a little clean. Um, so Sean, yeah. what are you drinking perchance? I thought you'd never ask. I'm drinking something that I think I feel you may have already had. It's a heresy. Oh. This one is a Pinot Grigio, Pinot Grigio, um, and I'm ashamed to say that my um, what's it called? My vintage. Doesn't even go to next to last year. It's a 2021. Oh shit! No, 2020. Year. I'm fancier than you. Yeah, I know. Well, usually <laughs> I like to stick around to 2020, except for that special episode last week where your I had five-year-old, your five-year-old wine. My five-year-old wine. Now this one's just a bebe. 
It's okay. just out of the yes. out of the whatever the wine out babies the come out of the womb. It's out of the wine barrel. Great womb. Out of the barrel. That's right. But yeah, it's not bad. It's nice. It's fresh. And I've gone away from the red, so I thought you'd be pleased. Oh, look, whatever floats your boat, I say. I just um, noted that you were consistently red all the way. So what's been going on this week? How's things in sunny, shiny, hot Brisbane? Um, no, you're dead right. It has been fucking hot in Brisbane today and yesterday in particular have been sweat boxes in the, in the unit. Now look at you rimming the glass with your bottle. The good girl. Don't you lick it usually? I'm trying to be a little bit more classy than that. Uh, fair enough, fair enough. But no, it's been a good week. I have to tell you, and I know I ask you this every fucking episode. I may ask you when I'm a bit more inebriated because I never remember the response. Sure, okay, I'm interested now. Do what you have else? binge? We got it this week to watch Friday Night Lights. Fan-fucking-tastic. I really that hate that is... you feel that I needed in my life, though, because I am oh. still... The only reason we got it was because we couldn't get binge on anything else. I mean, we... We couldn't get um, Friday Night Lights on anything else, and we so we had to decide on a new TV show this week, right? Because we've finished Yellowstone, which I'm going to do Yellowstone one week because it's fucking insane. But anyway, um, so we finished Yellowstone, and it was the most insane season finale. And we have to wait till November for the new seasons to come, the new episodes to come out. So we actually did a, a thing where we went through all the TV shows that we could find and we made a list and then we consolidated that list and we put numbers next to that I list. I love this. Prioritise. <laughs> and that's how if both <clears throat> of us put a tick next to the the um the show and we both agreed on it, then that was our short list. And then we discussed the short list and oh decided what we were going to do. This is exactly <laughs> how Vinny and I decide our Christmas <laughs> movies each year. <laughs> So in the end, um, it was de- it was between Friday Night Lights and what was the other one? I can't think. Um, the Wire, the police okay. one, uh, based in Chicago. Neither of us seen that. Um, so we ended up with Friday Night Lights, but we couldn't get. So we, we'd gone through all this hassle to find the show that we wanted, and the only streaming program that had it was fucking binge. So we had to pay for it. We got Good. it. Tyler got a trial, but. Look, you're not going to go back. And I can say, so two things. So first of all, the Gary Gardens movie that I'm going to talk about later is on binge. Mm-hmm. See him watch it. I recommend it. And the second yes. thing is that I am absolutely fucking obsessed with at the moment is impeachment, American crime story. I'm obsessed. So like, there's so much more to the story than I remember when it was coming out. I always knew about Linda mm-hmm. Tripp and Monica Lewinsky mm-hmm. and Bill Clinton. I didn't know much about the Paula Jones Dirty component. Dog. The dirty dog. Oh, you've got to watch it. It's brilliant. Um, Sarah Paulson is Linda Tripp. Yes. Have you ever seen a picture of Linda Tripp? No, I haven't, but I know she wore a fat suit for it. I know that much. Uh, well, sort of a frumpy suit, I guess. But yeah. she also got a chin implant and everything. But, like, even without – I've never heard Linda Tripp speak. What, a real skin No, like a fucking oh, prosthetic. <laughs> Thank Christ for that. That's she's going fucking, that's crossing the line, isn't it? To... What do they call it? She's the method actor. Method. Oh, that's what I was going to say. I was trying to think of the word method. What is it? What do they call it? Method actor. Yeah. But she that's is phenomenal. Thing. Like, even without knowing how Linda Tripp walks or how she speaks, when you watch um, Sarah Paulson in this, you just you just know it's Linda Tripp straight away. Like, Monica Lewinsky, the actress who plays her, she's amazing. I don't actually, when I watch her, I don't picture it being Monica Lewinsky. Mm-hmm. Same with Bill Clinton. He's you know not who really... her brother is, don't you? 
her, hey. because I, I read this the other day. Monica her or um, Sarah? The chick who's playing Monica Lewinsky. Okay. Um, Jonah Hill. Oh, comedian. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. And there must be quite a bit of an age gap because she looks quite young and Jonah would be oh, probably in his 30s. He'd be a little bit younger than us, but not heaps younger than us, I wouldn't imagine. Probably early 30s, mid 30s. Um, but, yeah, so that's his little sister. It's fucking great. So the, the last episode or the next episode, I think, is going to be the start of the trial. And, you know, it's just going to be fucking amazing. Like the build up to it, seeing what Monica actually went through and all that stuff and getting that understanding. Because remember, she was just labelled a slut and she the temptress. Did she move abroad as well because it was just too hard for her to live in the hectic. United States because yeah. of just how well known she was and just how much ridicule she got. And she was only a young girl. She was very is- young. This is where it, you know, it comes down to like even if it's, you know, not, um, if even if it's consensual, it's about men in power taking advantage of women totally. and who she was a, are young and impressionable and she, effectively ruining their lives. And she was like ways. 23, 24, 22 when it started or something like that. So imagine, and she's sleeping with, well, having sexual relations with the most powerful man in the I fucking world. I did not world. have sexual relations with that with woman. With that woman. <laughs> That's as good um, as my American accent gets. It is so good. Like when that when it's all out and you can binge it. Trust me, I've been re-watching episodes because I'm just so fascinated by it. I fucking love it. Yeah, right. So that's my week. (laughs) How's your week been? Well, look, we've had a little bit of heat down here too. Not as bad as you guys. So we've been to the beach a bit. Um, But I guess the biggest news that we have is that we have a new premiere a new new south wales premiere so that's been really quite hard to come to terms with so not to get political all i'm going to say is that i'm a labor supporter but i fucking loved gladys and i feel that whatever happened behind the scenes with icac and whatever the fuck's going on you know integrity is absolutely crucial and it's super super important but did they really need to call her out for shit at this time leave it for six months what's it going to hurt for six months to just wait and then go through, get through the, the pandemic get, it th- get us through the pandemic then change the leadership. Come on, for fuck's sake. Like, the new Premier is probably behind fucking making sure that it happens so he could get his fucking right-wing fucking conservative shithouse old-school views in. I feel like there's so much more to that story and there's obviously so much more going on behind the scenes, which is what politics are, right? They're just yeah. you know, disgraceful a lot of the times. Um, you don't even have to but, worry about the other parties. Sometimes you've got to worry about the people in your own party the most. Yeah, but I'm devastated and, you know, I was... I felt like Gladys, you know, was my friend in some ways. She was there for me at 11 oh, every o'clock. Every day. Every day. <laughs> and I came to rely on her. And, you know, I was just, I was traumatised when she left. And now we've got this new guy. And I'm not going to say anything negative because it's only my preliminary thoughts about um, his views and, and what I've read. And I haven't read enough, to be fair. I think you have um, every I, right to be opinionated just based on his views alone. It's been a good week going to the beach with the dog, enjoying the sun, and we get out of lockdown on Monday. So um, I've got a whole social week planned next week. There's lots of trips to the local for, you know, pub dinners and and drinks, and then we're having a whole day on Saturday. Yes, I can, but I can't dye my hair because the line to get into the fucking salon is about, you know, eight weeks long. That's um, all right. One day at a time. It's okay. I look look hot with my greys anyway. What what are you wearing tonight, Bino? Enlighten us. So this is my pop culture T-shirt. I wore it specially for tonight's theme. It's, it's a Hey Felicia. 
to hey felicia t-shirt so there's a group of queens in brisbane have put on a show at cloudlands actually i think it's over now but it was um yeah just this big drag show it was fantastic um full of piss it was like a festival by the end of it it was like day on the green there was white-waisted women passed out everywhere <laughs> i love god i miss brisbane i really all right so do you want to get into our chatty waddy woo woos yes please um who's going first this week so oh, we went last first last this week. week is your turn Ooh, okay. And I'm very excited to hear. So just to let you know, I obviously know of Sex in the City. I did not know there were books. I knew there was a TV series, which I've watched a couple of episodes of. I've seen both the movies, and I've only heard rumours about some of the oh fights and whatnot. Oh, my God. Well, that was part of my, my intro. So, okay, so what I'm going to talk about first is the fact that um, I am dedicating – this topic to um, Willie Garson, who played Stanford Blatch. So he passed away last week uh, yes. yeah. um, at the age of 57 from pancreatic cancer, um, which is one of the really, really awful ones, I it believe. Is. Like it's, it's, it's a horrible way to go. Um, and so, Side note, just really quickly, um, that's how Linda Tripp died as well this year, pancreatic oh, stop cancer. stop it. Yeah. Yeah, right. Okay. She's fucking cancer. Fuck you, cancer. I know. It's terrible. Um, so he passed away. And look, no one, I don't believe a lot of people knew how much he was struggling. I think that he was quite ill, um, but it was quite private. And there's not a lot of information that you can find on the internet about his um, illness or his final days. However, he passed away. He was so, like, I guess famous in a way that you would see him you would recognize him lots of things so i did a little bit of a search and some research on him but he's appeared in more than 75 films so he was 57 when he died um so young yeah but he appeared in more than 75 films and 300 episodes of tv so he never really was the superstar but he was always you know a side character or someone so he was you know um very experienced actor very sad he also was in you'll appreciate this twin peaks um i can't recall him i do remember him in x files friends and buffy though so he was in those shows but anyway rest in peace willie garson um but the thing willie garson who did he play in sex in the city was he in any of the movies he, yes, yes, he was there. You know, so Stanford Blatch. So he was uh, Carrie Bradshaw, who was SJP's. Uh, yeah. He was. So there's the four girls who are best friends, and then there's her best gay friend, which was Stanford right. Blatch. But believe he it gets or not, married. Hetero, he? Was, yeah, he marries Charlotte's best gay friend. But he was hetero in real life, which I was quite surprised oh, wow. when I found out today. Yeah. So he adopted a son to. Um, I think the son. Oh, look! Don't quote me. He's over ten. I don't think he's quite a teen yet, but um, he adopted him some many, many years ago, and he was a single dad adopting a child as a hetero man, which you know, um, yeah, love that. You know, isn't as common these days. Um, Anyway, so it's very sad that he passed. But I wondered as I was putting all this together about your knowledge of Sex in the City, because then Vinny texted me today and said, "Bitch." You're doing Sex in the City. Yeah. You better do it justice. He's very excited. I'll know. I'll know if you don't know what you're talking about because I yeah. know everything. So I just want to preface it with I have seen Sex in the City, the series, oh, 
look, I can't even tell you how many times I couldn't count. Oh, I've really? It's your yeah. survivor. It is, but I I wanted to talk about. So I have this thing where I have my my certain few shows, and when I can't find something to watch, or I need something to make me feel good, or I'm in a bad mood, I have my shows that I start from the beginning, yeah. and see through. So that um, the shows that I have is How I Met Your Mother, Parks and Recs. I've made you watch Parks and Recs with me before at length. Um, so the other ones is obviously Sex and the City um and new girl and will um i was gonna say will and grace and it's not will and grace it's gilmore girls you love uh, will, will and grace i was gonna say yeah my shows would be will and grace will and or grace um roseanne pre roseanne! Oh, I, I fucking haven't redone roseanne since i've done that a I few times okay. i mean and like the first season's great the last season's a shit show not the newer, not when they rebooted it. I was so excited. When they rebooted Roseanne, I was super excited. I was they like, oh, my God. Her. Well, she was fucking a racist on fucking. Yeah. Yeah. It just was so disappointing. But they carried it on with the Connors. Mm. They called it the Connors. Um, but we only was got the first good? season over here. I liked it. But that's also because I could watch it if it was making my eyes bleed just because it was a Roseanne yeah. um, anthology or whatever. You know. See, I love Dan Goodman. I could watch him to the cows come home. Uh, see, watch him in anything. Yeah, Darlene and Jackie, I loved. And I loved Roseanne Jackie, too. Right. I always yeah. found that when I watched that, that's the type of parent I was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably the type of parent I am to a degree. <laughs> um, anyway, but, back to So Sex and City for me is just the kind of show that me and my sister could spend hours talking about. Um, we have deep deep emotional connections to the characters, to the episodes, to the yeah. scenarios. We could tell you anything about them. Um, Sarah made me promise that I'd talk about the fact that we hate Berger because we hate him. That's one Who's of the guys. Berger? So that's one of the guys that carry dates in one of the later seasons. And he's just an absolute piece of shit. And he breaks up with her on a post-it after they've said, I love you. They've been together for a couple of months. He's jealous of her success. He's just this horrible, horrible character from the get-go. Cheats on his current girlfriend with her when they first get oh, together, God. and she's so it's always bad news. She's she's not great with her love life. She Carrie Bradshaw makes bad decisions. Have um, you ever been broken up with via written form, no, <laughs> written word? No. I've been I've been dumped by email, but I've also dumped someone by email too. But we were only going out for about a month. Is that the five and the eight all the time? No, no, no. I did that over the phone. It was an American oh, guy. Yeah. But we're only kind of seeing each other a bit. But I have also been a bit dumped by email. I won't, I won't mention names. Oh, I've been dumped by ghosting. <laughs> Just fading a... into the background. I never hear from again. That's happened to me a few times. Hello. Um, Hello. But not by email or via poster. Anyway, so this is for you, Sarah. Burger sucks balls. Yeah, fuck you, Burger. Fuck you, Burger. Anyway, so yes, you were correct in what you were saying before. Uh, it is based on a book that Candace. Bushnell wrote, oh. so which was also based on her time being a columnist. So I've made notes now. I need to figure out New York Observer. She was a columnist for the New York Observer, exactly as Carrie was. Carrie Bradshaw is, you know, she writes about people she knows and her own sexual experiences and her relationships and other people's relationships that she knows. Um, and then they made a book out of it, which was Sex in the City. And then they made a TV show out of it. It's a so, TV series, very um, 
similar to the book, like the first season? Is that sort of a mirror of the book or anything? To or? be fair, I actually haven't read the first book, but I've read the books in the Carrie Diaries, which is the ah, other okay, series. Um, that's which pre, is about, isn't it? That's, yep, and then they made a TV show out of that. So that's the prequel mm. stuff. So this is early Carrie Bradshaw in high school. Um, yeah. So I read the first two books and when Samantha was introduced, but then it was a bit too teeny bopper for me in the end. Um, but I've never read the first book. I don't think it's super close, but, yeah, I'm not really sure about that, to be fair. Um, but it went on to spin off two movies, a third yep. almost movie. Oh, no. Um, and and I really enjoyed the movies, I have to say. Like so you've seen the movies, but not the TV shows. Yeah. So well, the there's movies. a lot of there's a lot of seasons, you know. Oh, Bino. So the movies are nothing compared to look, I love the I I like the first movie. The second movie's watchable. Um, but the show, the show is iconic. Uh, some okay. of the stuff that happens, if you were to watch it, look, I think if you were to watch it now from the beginning, not being a fan, you might struggle with some of the earlier, very, very outdated episodes. Yeah. Um, but it's so worth the journey. And if 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 Finney loves it, he'll do it with you. You should totally do it. You would just right. love it. It is from a woman's perspective, but it's very Samantha, which we'll talk about Kim Cattrall soon and the whole thing, the whole feud thing, which is very upsetting to me as a massive fan, um, is amazing. As much as Carrie Bradshaw is the show, and I adore her too, Samantha just is fucking insane. Her yeah. confidence and how she is so open about her sex life and it makes, as a woman watching it, it's very inspiring. It's a very inspiring show. Sometimes Carrie and Charlotte are a little bit like, eh, come on, get on yeah. with it. Um, but overall, it's such a good show and it's, you know, it's it, you can relate to all the characters. At some time in your life, you've been one of them or done one of the things yeah. multiple times. So you can relate um, so totally. Charlotte was Brooke from Melrose Place. Is that right? No. <laughs> Someone was in Melrose Place. Yes, yeah. yes, she was. Oh, of course she was. Oh, totally. She yeah, Chris Davis. Chris yeah, yeah, yeah. She was yes, a psycho. She was in love with Billy Shu. Um, yeah. And she tried to blow up Melrose Place. Andrew, no, Billy was the character. Andrew Shu is that. Andrew Shu. Yeah, Billy yes. was the character. Brother of Elizabeth Shu. Yes, yes, yeah. of course she is. Yes, yes, yes. So she plays the really, um, you know, Nick and mild. Yeah. Yes, but she's got she's got her crazy side as well. And then Cynthia Nixon, of course, famously ran for governor of New York. Wow. Was unsuccessful. Um, was, was it a ma- complete blowout? Do you know? Well, I did a bit of research today. It's hard to understand American like politics because it's quite complex. So I believe she was in the lead as the representative for the Democratic Party and then some conflict happened. So the guy that ended up beating her didn't end up being governor, but I noticed he has been up on sexual harassment charges. Oh, gosh. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, so um, it didn't work out for either of them. So she didn't get governor, obviously, but um, she had a good go at it. I believe. But listen to this one. So Candace Bushnell made 60K from selling the rights to the film from the book. 60 fucking thousand dollars. Is that it? Yep. Look, she would have had royalties, I'm sure. I and then she so. would have had continued royalties off the franchise, Every I imagine. Every time it plays and stuff, um, yeah. 60,000, considering what they fucking made off that, that oh, franchise. Considering, considering what they would have paid the actors would have been a shit ton more than that. Oh, oh. So, um, where am I? 
Okay, so I'm going to talk about, let me just have a quick look. Um, okay, oh, actually, I'll mention one other little trivia thing that you'll think yeah, is Yeah, I love trivial stuff, um, I love it. Cosmos, obviously, Sex and the City launched the Cosmo. It, it was around. Oh, yes, yes, Cosmopolitan. The city, but then yep. Cosmopolitans became the drink that everyone wanted. I remember working in the city, Brisbane City, when um, the Cosmos were oh, a huge city. thing. You'd go for after-work drinks and all the ladies would be getting Cosmos. I'm like, what the fuck? Why are you paying $20 or $50, whatever it was back then for a little martini glass? I can get a I pint. Know. Half the price. The list is long of, you know, how many things that show inspired in terms of, you know, fads and trends. But another thing that um, came up that I thought was hilarious was there's one episode where uh, Miranda, which is Cynthia Nixon, and Carrie, SJP, are famously eating cupcakes out the front of the Magnolia Bakery, I think it is. Um, and that just blew cupcake sales through the roof wow. globally. Globally, there was this, this, do you remember when the cupcake phenomenon happened and it was just like everyone was buying cupcakes and six packs and eating remember, them and yeah. I remember and, the phenomenon, but I didn't know it was linked to fucking Sex and the City. It's yeah, amazing that They had to make all bakery in New York had to hire bouncers at the front of the shop because it was wow. so far. It was the lines were crazy that it was mobbed just for cupcakes. Love it. Good on her. Americans are crazy. Um, <clears throat> okay. So I've I guess I've been through some of the points that I wanted to share about Sex in the City, but ultimately it's such an amazing show. Um, and if you haven't seen it and you love feel-good shows about women that are super real, you really need to watch it. And there's so many seasons, so what are you waiting for, really? Um, but the big thing is the whole bad blood between Kim Cattrall and Sarah Jessica yes. Parker. So there's so many he said, she said moments. And for years and years and years, there's been rumours that they disliked each other and they fought a lot on set, but they've always squashed it. And they've always publicly said Complain. that yep. things were cool and then it's just all bullshit and all rumours. Um, until Kim Cattrall's brother went missing um, and ultimately was found dead. And Sarah Jessica Parker reached out to her via Twitter and expressed her condolences for the loss of her brother. Um, so I've, I've put some quotes down. I've actually got a little bit of a timeline of the feud between um, SJP and Control. So maybe I'll just read the notes that I put. Yes. Okay. So um, I, I will say this one thing, though. I was devastated. I never knew about the rumours that they didn't like each other. And I'm one of those people who genuinely believes in the fictional life of actors. Like, when I find yeah. out something like this, I find it really quite devastating and distressing. It's like when you find out that, you know, I'm, I'm a massive rom-com person. I adore rom-com movies. Good ones, like classic yeah. ones, not shit ones. Um, Things like The Princess Switch on Netflix and whatnot. No, not, that. not like that at all. I'm talking like The Notebook and. Um... Oh, well, that's not a rom com. That's just pure rom. Yeah. Well, you know. So <laughs> I know like, what you mean, though. Yeah. Um, and then when I find out that they had, you know, two actors who played this love story and had super great chemistry and then they Hate hated each other. each other on the set, it devastates. So, like, how well, can you pretend? That. How can you yeah. pretend like that and have this love for each other and then hate each other's guts? I always find that really sad. So when I, I found remember out, watching, sorry, I remember watching. Um, I think it was either the first or the second movie, and knowing that they hated each other at that point, and watching them interact, I'm like, 
how are they that great actors that they're just like mm-hmm. in love with each other and being so friendly, but I then know. they hate each other off? What happens when they go cut? Do they slap each other and walk? I guess it says a lot about their acting ability, but I like to buy into the romance. I'm a bit of a romantic. So, you know, I find that really devastating. So when I found out about the feud, I was I was very gutted, I must say. But let's do the timeline. So 2014, yeah. many news articles report consistent rumours of catfighting on the set of Sex and the City over the six-year run. However, in 2004, Kim was interviewed on TV complaining about her lack of remuneration. Um, allegedly, she was pay, being paid about 300k an episode and wanted about a million an episode. Um, Sex Can and I City... Check? Sorry, do we, know how much Sa- do we know how much Sarah was getting paid? It was a lot more. We know it was so a lot more. So it's always going to be feuds when that happens. I'm going doing to the just same job. chuck it out there and say she was probably being paid more than a million. And I, I'm I'm pretty sure that Kim didn't want more than Sarah. She just wanted a reasonable remuneration. So there's a like she goes on to say, you know, that they were doing quite well. Um, it's time that the actors start to reap the rewards. Yeah, as totally. Um, but Sex and the City was making a lot of money at this stage and Sarah Jessica Parker, who would slightly be considered to be more of a lead character, but only very slightly. Yeah. The show is about Carrie Bradshaw, but the three other girls are also the main characters and without yeah. them, there is no show, right? Yeah. Um, but she was reported to be paying much more an episode because while she was slightly the lead character, she was also further compensated for the fact that she was credited as a role as a producer. So she didn't want to sign on to play Carrie Bradshaw originally, um, but then when she went to meet with Darren Starr, who was the showrunner, um, Kim Cattrall was the same. Kim didn't want to play the character. They they both were, I think, of the opinion that it was quite a sexualised role. Um, there was stuff about them that they weren't sure that they could comfortably portray, you know, um, yeah. genuinely. But one of the, the gimmicks that brought Sarah Jessica Parker in was that she would, he offered to let her produce some episodes. So she's credited as a producer, whereas Kim Cattrall wasn't. She may have been in later episodes because they all end up being producers at some stage because that's some directors and all that shit. throw yeah. at them, I think, to, you know, uh, on top of more money. But so she was obviously getting paid more because she was a credited producer and producer. Um, producer. What wabbits. Uh, it's the wine, isn't it? We can't speak properly. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's enthusiasm. Um, anyway, so she just she was open about the fact she wanted more money and she wasn't getting more money, yeah? Um, this was after the TV show had finished, right? The TV show was done. Um, so then 2008, the, sec- the first Sex in the City movie was about to start filming, but it was held up because of salary negotiation. Sarah Jessica Parker is quoted as follows. Um, she's talking about Kim Cattrall in this quote. She mentioned money and no one should vilify her for it. People made a decision that we had vilified her. No one bothered to say to the rest of us, are you disappointed by not making the movie? Yes. Do you respect and support her choice not to? Absolutely. So make of that what you will, but the fact that Sarah Jessica Parker is sharing her disappointment that the movie wasn't going ahead and talking about... um, Kim Cattrall's issues with remuneration, I feel like it wasn't fair of her to say that. Like it was almost like her being open and trying to be fair and stuff like that, but it was still a backhanded slap at Kim Cattrall. It was sort of like, yeah, yeah. we're disappointed the movie's not being made. We understand her reasons not to make it because she wants more money, but we're still disappointed. And, you know, I feel like it was a bit of an underhanded snipe oh, without 100%. being yeah, a yeah, yeah. 
So I would have Passive been disappointed. Aggressive. Yes, 100%, exactly. And I would have been annoyed at that comment, I think. But anyway, shit goes on, and there wasn't really anything else happening because she technically said she supported Kim Cattrall, right? Um, so, uh, so that was 2008. But in 2009, both Kim Cattrall and Cynthia Nixon turned out to the movie premiere of SJP's new film, Did You Hear About the Morgans, with Hugh Grant. Um, so they showed up in support, which I thought was really nice, you know, so even though there was shit going on. And look, this could have been yeah. there the publicist saying you have to go or whatever the case may be. Um, She still went. She still went. In the same month, though, SJP was again quoted in an article for Elle um, talking about the salary disputes, and she says, I don't think anybody wants to believe that I love Kim. I adore her. I wouldn't have done the movie without her. Didn't and wouldn't. Kim is also quoted in the same article complimenting SJP. She shines and she allows you to shine as well. So... This is a year later. The movie is just about to be filmed, I think, or they've just started to agree about making the first film. So there was two okay. films. The third film never happened because Kim Cattrall said, no, nah, I'm not doing I'm it. Done. Yeah. I'm done. But she said after the second film, I don't want to do another. I'm done. There's no more story left. I'm not interested. I don't want to do it. But she was the one. Just flogging a dead horse. Yeah. Yes, she was the one who was hung out to dry and said that it was because of her that the third movie didn't get made. Yeah. Um, Which I remember. Yeah. So then there's there's all these other quotes, and I'm not going to go into too many of them. Um, but Kim Cattrall continues to talk about Sarah Jessica Parker and how amazing she is, and that they get along and all this sort of stuff, right? Uh, in the media. But then there's a time um, where in, here we go, in September 2017, where the third Sex in the City film was confirmed that it wasn't going ahead. Um, and there was lots of talk about from Kim, Sarah Jessica Parker and Cynthia Nixon um, about feeling sometimes getting hurt. Um, it hasn't always been smooth sailing. And there's all this stuff about how they you have the utmost respect for each other, but there's all that underlying commentary that you kind of like, there's something more to the story. So Kim doesn't live in New York anymore. Um, Sarah Jessica Parker, Cynthia Nixon and Kristen Davis all still live in New York. They're all still friends. They publicly still reach out to Cynthia, I mean, reach out to um, Kim through social media and things like that, and they seem to have like a, you know, back and forth thing where they are still friends. It's just the whole Kim and Sarah Jessica Parker thing that doesn't, you know, seem to work. So it all comes to a head when Kim's brother passed away after being missing for a short period. Sarah Jessica Parker expressed her condolences via Twitter, um, and Kim originally thanked the Sex and the City, her Sex and the City colleagues for their well wishes. But then a few days later, Kim took to Instagram and said, my mum asked me today, when will that at Sarah Jessica Parker, she tagged her in the post, that hypocrite leave you alone. And then that's like what her mum said. But then she continues, your continuous reaching out is a painful reminder of how cruel you really were then and now. Let me make this very clear in capitals, very if I haven't already, you are not my family, you are not my friend, so I'm writing to tell you one last time to stop exploiting our tragedy in order yeah. to restore your nice girl persona. Yeah. Huh. So, look, it's hard to say with certainty who's in the right and who's in the wrong. And um, around that time too when such a tragedy has befallen on people, like at that 
time, I guess you would be accepting of the correspondence from others and whatnot and the well wishes. But then if someone who you're not a friend with you keeps sort out. of doing it, you're going to be telling them, like, fuck off, basically. I'm sick of it. I don't want to hear, am I doing okay anymore? And especially from someone, if you feel that the reason that they're doing it is basically for their own image. And I feel like Kim tried to stay classy throughout it all um, and tried to always support Sarah Jessica Parker and, you know, just back off and, and make it all that, that it was. And, look, SJB did as well. I don't know. I feel like some of her quotes are a little bit underhanded. Um, yeah, yeah. Look, there's other shows where they go on. So now they're doing the revival, right? Um, and just like that, it's called, which is fantastic because as a massive Sex yeah. and City fan, like I'm stoked for that. Without Kim Cattrall, I just feel like they've brought in all these great characters. They've got one of the first. Um, uh, what's the terminology? I'm transgender. There's transgender, but there's also the non. Is it non-binary? Non-binary. Non-binary yep. character. Um, so, you know, they've got... This, they move forward. They're trying to replace Samantha with things that are relevant and um, I'm sure that, you know, the writers are always very good. It's such an amazing show, so I'm sure it's going to be great. But am I, from loyalty to the show and the roots and Kim Cattrall, like incredibly disappointed that they're going on without her? Absolutely. And do I hope it's a shit fight? A little bit. Do am I going to watch it as soon as it comes out and pay whatever 100%. fucking price, um, streaming service or pay forty dollars yeah. for the first episode? Yes, a hundred percent. And I Just hope, hope it's one amazing. Of them doesn't make any racist fucking car comments and get the whole series canned. Yeah, I'm very sad that Sam's not coming back. She was as big a character as what Carrie Bradshaw was. And I just think, you know, to do it without her, I hope they've got some really great people coming yeah. in to replace her. Um, It'll be interesting to see how it goes without yes. such a key. Well, look, I, when I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, we will – let's just do the episode because it's coming out – they announced today it's coming out in December this year. So we should get it at the same time. Gone are the days when Australia had to wait a long mm. time for the shows to come out. Totally. It should come out on something. Yeah. Whoever's whoever's showing sex, I'm pretty sure it's binge actually. Um, I was going to say to you, I've googled that, and binge is also showing Sex in the City. So yeah, you're welcome so they'll for the have constant it. And they, harassment. <laughs> they had the Friends <laughs> reunion. They had it straight away yes. as well. So I'm sure they'll get it, which, which is, is fine. Yeah. Um, so city. And look, I was gonna. I could have probably gone into the episodes and what the show meant to me, but there's just a lot going on in the media right now. And that's what was your favourite episode? Do you oh, have a favourite episode? It's there's, there's so many. I couldn't pick just one. I'd have to really, if I was to pick my favourite episode, I'd have to sit there over probably a week and watch them all from beginning to end, and I'd have to rate them, and then I'd have to do a short list. And, a long and then and then tick the ones, get Tyler yeah. to tick his yeah. ones, and then goodbye. Something that I could just pluck it out of the air and tell you. Look, I love the episode where. Um, Who was your favorite character? Oh no, sorry, go on with your favorite episode. Four. All four. I love them all equally in equal measures. They all bring something different. Um, I loved Stanford Blatch, though, who, the gentleman who passed away. Um, there was lots of side characters that I loved, particularly Aiden. Mr. Big was okay. She ended up with him, but um, Aiden was It's one always of nice days. when you have a favourite series where you love all the characters. There's not some that piss you off. But sorry, anyway, if you had to say one of your favourite episodes... No, I still can't. I just told you I'd have to sit there and go through them oh. all and rank them all. <laughs> and then I would have to, like, I'd need my sister to help me. We'd need to do it together. And we'd have to have, like, a discussion about why. It's not, this. 
when you love a show that much, it's too, I, I can't. Do you have a favourite season? Probably. Probably the first and the second seasons, I'd say. The latest. Well, they all have their peaks and their troughs. They all have their great points. It's just, it's such a great show. I really need you to watch it. Can you please? Well, if the first and the second seasons are the best, then that should be easy for me to get into. Mm, just watch the first season, okay? <laughs> That's it for Sex and the City from me. Now, I could have delved into the relationships in the episode, but I didn't. So I hope people aren't super disappointed. I think I focused a lot on the whole feud situation with Kim um, and SJP. So I hope you enjoyed it. Over to Bino. Well, thank you, stupid bitch. But, like, to be fair, well, I mean, if you were going to talk about all the episodes, you had a few seasons you'd have to divulge into for that. So I'm here for the drama. I'm here for the trivia. So I loved it. Thank you. I feel like you have to watch it and then we'll have a discussion. One of our my to next topics in pop culture will be a revisit of Sex and the City and the episodes after you've watched it. And I'm going to text Vinny after this and say, make him watch it. All right. Sounds good. And if, your, if, if, you've got any feed, if you've got any feedback from the viewers about what they want us to talk about more, then please give it to us. Reply to our socials or send us an email. So um, I'm pretty excited about this topic tonight from mine on Grey Gardens. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, hey. Me too. I'm excited too. Oh, good. So anyone who hasn't heard of Grey Gardens, you're just like me back in 2013. But anyone who hasn't heard of Grey Gardens, I urge you, if you are interested in any of the shit that I say tonight, watch it. I'll tell you where you can watch it throughout the um, discussion. But it is phenomenal. It's fascinating. It's intriguing. It's just one of them. So anyway. <laughs> one of them, one of us, one of you, one of all. One of us. those. So Grey Gardens is actually a documentary that was released in 1975, and it centres on the lives of Edith Ewing Bouvier Beale, also known as Big Edie, and her daughter Edith Edith Bouvier Beale, who's what known as What names? I know, right? It's like back then, um, so this was released in 75, so their married names would have been back from fucking the 40s or whatever. It's just like if you came from money and you married, you didn't lose the money, the name that had the money attached to it. You mm -hmm. just added on other ones, mm, such as I Jacqueline, love <laughs> Bouvier, Kennedy, Onassis. You keep them all, you know, because, hey, bitch, I'm here. So anyway, we've got Big Edie and Little Edie. And the film itself focuses on their relationship as mother and daughter and their unique living conditions in their residence. And by unique, I mean unique. Unique mm -hmm. New York. Unique New York. Grey mm -hmm. Gardens. You know, yeah. Annunciation. Unique New York. Unique New York. <laughs> but Grey Gardens is basically a 14-bedroom mansion in the Hamptons. And you know the Hamptons, right? But super run down, though, wasn't it? Like, they didn't oh, it gets run down. But the Hamptons <laughs> is a very fucking luxurious oh, state where, where totally. all the fucking rich, rich people, people go. I think the Kardashians holiday there. And actually, um, this is kind of like the Kardashians before the Kardashians because it's a documentary mm -hmm. on their lifestyle, but it's just at the other end of the fucking spectrum. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's also been a second documentary released called The Beals of Grey Gardens, which is oh. basically the stuff that didn't make the first documentary. So it's, and it's also been made into a TV movie, also by the name of Grey Gardens, which is on binge, hashtag binge. 
but the movie itself focuses on the overall story of who they were, um, you know, in their younger years and how they end up where they are. And it also stars Jessica Lange and Drew Barrymore. I was going to say that. Drew Barrymore, I, who I uh, adore. And Jessica, Jessica Lange. Jessica Lange, American Horror Story, the fucking... Oh, oh and the they best do of the best. Amazing jobs in portraying Big and Little Edie. Like, amazing. So I first found out about Little Edie during an episode of RuPaul's Drag Race. It was season five snatch game. Um, Jinx Monsoon portrayed Little Edie. I had no idea who she was, neither did any of the other queens in that season, except for RuPaul, of course, who admitted then that he was also a fan of Little Edie and Grey Gardens. And so from that, I started to look into what the fuck Grey Gardens was about, and I have been hooked ever since. You have so tried reason- many, many times to get me hooked on Twitter. Uh, well, look, you got to watch it you got to watch it. So I don't know, I may be repeating myself or jumping ahead here, but both um, Grey Gardens and The Beals of Grey Gardens, are, the documentaries are available on YouTube, so you can just watch it there without any subscriptions. Anyway, the reason why the story is so intriguing is the Edies, big and little, who were aunt and first cousin to Jacqueline Bouvier, Kennedy, Onassis, start from a very wealthy background in life and they were both american socialites in their earlier years big yeah. edie was also well known for her lavish lifestyle and the party she would host at their hamptons residence she was a singer she used to put on big parties get people to come around it was a real swan really swanny about type of thing chortle chortle what what in 1931 Big Edie's husband separates from her when she's 35 and leaves Mm -hmm. her and the three kids, which is Little Edie and her two brothers, to reside at Grey Gardens. Gay Gardens. To reside at Grey Gardens. He doesn't pay her any alimony, just child support. So by the time the kids are out of the house, she has no real income except an allowance of about $150 a month that she receives from the Bouviers. And she has no skills, right? So she can't go get a job or anything because she's like... Women don't work. Back socialite. Then, really. That's her only skill is being socialite. And it's and it's thirty one. So really, like nineteen thirty one, if you had a job, you were a fucking a pretty young secretary that got a butt slapped by the big wigs. You know mm-hmm, what I mean? Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. <clears throat> and she never had to work. She never had the skills. Her husband was a lawyer. She just had to play housewife, really. Yeah. So little movie, little Edie, during that time, little Edie moves to Manhattan for five years to try and pursue a career as a model and in acting and as a dancer. But after receiving pressure from her mother she, to move back home, she reluctantly moves back home to um, Grey Gardens in 1952. So this is 21 years after the father had left. Mm. Big Edie loves Grey Gardens, the house, and she vows never to sell it or move, no matter how dire their circumstances get. And they would have got a lot of money for this property back in its heyday when it was all fabulous and whatnot. And trust me, the situations or the circumstances get pretty fucking dire. So in 1952, um, Little Edie's moved back into Grey Gardens. By 1971, the once grand establishment becomes, has become overrun by weeds and subjected to natural Mm. decay, disaster without any maintenance. Tree branches are literally growing through windows into the house they end up with no heating or running water because they can't pay the bills and the house becomes overrun by cats and raccoons. It's infested with fleas and is completely full of garbage. Mm. 
that they're, they're subject to inspections, or as the EDs would call it, raids, by the local health department and face eviction. It was wow. Cool. And so it's, it's such just, a tragic story, isn't it? It's horrendous. And it's such a grand house when you see, like, in the beginning of it and what it becomes is just fucking like a haunted mansion type of look. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so they've subject to inspections by the local health department and face eviction, which was all exposed through a national through an article in the National Enquirer and a cover story in the New York magazine. Um, all because they were relatives of Jackie Onassis, who at this stage, her husband's dead, Jack, um, JFK. So she was huge. Do you remember um, Jackie O and Jackie oh, Kennedy and all that Everyone stuff? Knows. Everyone knows there. who she was. Yeah, yeah. So because they're cousins and aunt of her, this story has become massive. Um, and you should actually see pictures of this article. If you can, we'll po try and post some in the um, thread when we release the podcast. Yeah. But... Um, so, yeah, so it has pictures of, like, little Edie, who was a model in a day, posing next to a huge pile of empty food cans in their house. And I mean, like, a pile as big as, as tall as yourself. And she stood in front of it, and it's it's sad, but it's slightly hilarious. There's cats was she there too. still model-like looking? Was she still, like, attractive? Uh, in She is, like... So at this stage, she's been living in this house for 20 years, and over the 20 years, it's just become fucking desolate. Yeah. So they don't have running water, so they probably wash themselves with a rag on a stick, you know what I mean? So when you see her, like, you can see there's dirt sort of caked on them and stuff, not like proper proper mud or anything yeah. like that, but like how people look like in Survivor after a yeah. few days. They wash themselves in the sea, that type of yeah. shit. Yeah. So and she's posing in front of these... Um, piles of rubbish but she's like doing proper model poses like if you actually release the photo today it'd be called kichua do you know what i mean like it would be like you know like all the heroin chic stuff yeah garbage chic and stuff like that like she's doing these but proper. it says know. a lot to their mental health doesn't it that like this and this is the main piece about this isn't it like it says yeah. but it's so sad in the fact that you know women uh, have this role in life and if they don't have someone who's going to go out and make money for them back in those days then they're just that's what they were subjected to yeah they were subjected to and they don't have the and especially if they weren't um educated as well they don't have the inclination or the understanding of how that they can go out and make their own money or they're going to go get a minimum wage job in the u.s so a minimum yeah. wage job is not going to upkeep that house anyway like and the thing is like they were educated because they were came from a wealthy family so they were educated but they just didn't have, I guess they just didn't have the facilities to be able to do their washing, to have clean clothes, to go out and work in a fresh outfit every day. Like they were subjected to just this life and of poverty. And that wears basically. you down. Wears you down, doesn't it? And you get used to that type of shit. And the, mm. the two sons never really stepped up to do anything. They try and talk to the mum at one stage when Grey Gardens is in its glory and tell her to sell it and move to fucking Florida and you'll live comfortably for the rest of your life. Because they're on a fucking huge estate and the mother's adamant they're not moving. They're not leaving Grey Gardens. That was her, what do you call it, her, the pinnacle of her success, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that, was that home. But, yeah, there's pictures of her next to these empty cans. There's even one of the cat, one of the cats is, like, poking its head in front of the camera and stuff like that. It's crazy. And it's hilarious yet sad. 
because she is posing like a proper model throughout the pictures and she didn't realize while they were taking the pictures that what they were trying to do was expose their lifestyle and everything like that she thought they were interested in them she thought this was a moment about an opportunity to be a model yeah anyway when they do the raid well in the video the movie of it you see them all they're all gagging as they're walking through the house it's that much scent smell in there the cats just piss and shit everywhere they feed the raccoons and everything like there's just so much fucking um kitty litter <laughs> for want of a better word just feces and all that shit around and how many cats do they have loads there's there's like Why it's just overrun cats? because they're just feral in the end as well oh, they're, they're breeding feral. and having kittens and They've got raccoons that they look after. They, I mean, but they like the cats are their pets and that. They're like, get me whiskers. Where's whiskers? I haven't seen whiskers for a couple of days. Uh, whiskers is dead behind that portrait. <laughs> anyway, in 1972, Jackie Onassis and her sister step in and provide the funds that are necessary to bring the house back into livable conditions that meet the village codes. This was in the 70s. 72. So right. it's after Kennedy's assassination. She's married Aristotle, is it, Anassis and all that. Yes, yeah. She's got, some, she's got a lot of money behind her. So the house is by no means rec- resurrected to its former glory at all, but it's, and it still cost them Livable. around 30, Yeah, and it still cost them $30,000 back then to get the house back up to a livable standard. And, like, in the early 70s, like, you'd buy three properties in Alexandra Hills for $30,000. Mm, mm, totally, 100%. It tells you how much money that was, yeah. So it's cleaned out. People are gagging as they're walking through. It's it's just cleaned out from top to bottom, basically. They take all the rubbish out. They fucking um, restore the warding, water, restore the heating. All the holes in the walls and the windows are all boarded up where they were broken and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they basically just now use it for the one bedroom that they live in, which you see in the documentary. They have their two separate beds in the one room and the dining room. And the other rooms are, are there and usable but they're just vacant or full of old furniture and cats and records. So they slept in the same room in that massive house with all those rooms they slept in the same room. Yeah, they they, they have such a, they have got such a unique bond. Oh. Like yeah, you, you have to watch it. Like they don't like in separate beds and all that stuff, but Oh, I get that. But And it was probably the only room that had heating and Ooh. had, you know, their electricity connected properly and all that stuff. Because she sits there, and even like um, Big Edie has next to her a little, you know, those little portable stovetops. She has one of them next to her. She's making fucking noodles or some shit. I can't remember what she's making, but yeah, she sits there and makes her food next to it, and then eat. They eat it in bed and whatnot. So also that year, Jackie's sister Lee hired some documentary filmmakers, brothers Albert and David Maisley's, to do work on a film or a documentary that was based on the Bouvier family. They get some footage of Little Edie and Big Edie. Um, they present this sort of what their first recordings to Lee, Jackie's sister. And when she sees it, she scraps the whole whole idea. She pulls all the negatives because I think they just real think she, they're just going to make a piss take of their family. Why so would for, she think that that was a lucrative idea? Why would she want to document it after they've seen the condition of the house, though? Because it was meant to be about the whole Bouvier family, right. not just big and little lady but because they've subscribed the whole thing to be about the Bouvier family they've gone around and got some footage of big and little lady she's like yeah. scrapped it kept the negatives car boshed the whole whole idea but during that time it was happening they got the footage of big and little lady and they and the 
um, filmmakers are just fascinated by their lifestyle. So they decided to make a documentary just on those two, um, which little Edie's ecstatic about. You know, she wanted to be an actress. She wanted to be a model, all that stuff. She's like, oh, my God. Big Edie's obviously happy about it too, thinking it's probably some more money that's going to come in. Um, and the film ends up being, the documentary is a huge success. There aren't any voiceovers in it. It's just Did they get paid for it at least? So they got, did they, they get money from the success of it? Yeah, there would have been some Oh, some thank money God they it. weren't just exploited. No, and the actual filmmakers during it actually, well, they come across just as really kind and, like, they have conversations with Big and Little Edie plus anyone else who's around at the time, like the store guy or the yard guy who pops in. And they're actually properly, well, it comes across it like they're properly friends with them if you know yeah. what I mean, like the yeah. way they're talking yeah. to them. They actually respect them and care for them. So the film's a huge success. There's no voiceovers in the film. It's not like, and this is where Grey Gardens is set, and this is Little Edie, blah, 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 and Little Edie doesn't like her mother. It's all left to the mother and daughter to tell their story through the hours and hours yeah. and hours of footage that they get from it, which gives us Grey Gardens in the subsequent documentary, Beals of Grey Gardens. Film documentaries just, like, they, I just am astounded sometimes how the people who make them just know how to represent certain elements of things to make it appealing like it's hard yep. to make documentaries appealing but some you know documentary filmmakers are really clever at that like it's mm. just um i could never be that clever <laughs> well and the thing is too like they really represent the the edies well and the edies the big and little edie are the ones who are telling the story about what's happened and that's where you get all the content is through what they're saying to the filmmakers and they're very sort of respectful in not showcasing them just as absolute fucking nutjobs or recluses. Yeah. Even though, unfortunately, Little Edie does come across as a bit of a nutjob, they're still just letting her do what she wants to do. They're not making her do stuff. She's doing what she does that she makes, yeah. makes her feel happy. But, but Big Edie was super crazy too, though, wasn't she? So Big Edie was more of a real sort of, I guess, a stubborn cow. <laughs> Like a debut, like a um, debutante, yeah, yeah, like you know, back in the day, like oh, oh. totally. And she made she really sort of put the hard word on little Edie moving back from um, Manhattan to live with her, put her under all that pressure and all that stuff, even though she was having the time of her life in Manhattan, yeah. Are they alive now or are they deceased? They're deceased, both Both of them, them. yeah. So as much of an icon as Big Edie is, Little Edie is literally the standout in the documentary. She becomes a huge fashion icon through the ensembles that she puts together in her daily life. She makes she tells she makes she makes headscarves from old cardigans, matching skirts and short skirts over shorts that are held together with safety pins. She's thrifty. She's thrifty. She knows how to put put some fancy style together she does she, she knows how to save a dollar <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so she has matching skirts over shorts and you see all this in the documentary and she tells you as well she's like i think that this is the best attire for today you know we can put the shorts the pantyhose over the shorts and then the skirt skirt over the pantyhose just to um hold together with this i think that's classy and i think that's the best the best outfit for a day like today like that type of stuff it's it's great <laughs> um, it, it, yeah. So she also the poor thing. She developed alopecia in her late thirties. Stop loses, it. She lost all her hair, 
her eyebrows, hence hence the headscarves. Yeah, hence the headscarves becoming a signature look for her. She'd always have some headscarf over. over Alopecia her. affects your moon significantly. Like it's a really, it's a big condition. I think her antibodies were up to the fucking hill. You know, from living in the scholar she did, she could fucking walk through anything. Cancer and even fucking back away. Well, I'm not going there. I'm done. <laughs> oh, uh, my goodness. But, I have yes. to watch this. I really do. You've tried right. to make me watch the beginning. I think one time when we were really drunk and I couldn't get into it. Um, I don't know if I'm going to get Tyler across the line to, to watch it, but I am committed now. I'm going to give it a go, a proper go. To. Start with the documentary and then watch the film. Of course. There's also a claim from one of her cousins that, she once climbed a tree at the house and set her hair on fire. Um, right. This isn't covered in the movie or the documentaries, but you can see little clumps of hair under her headscarves in the bald patches, so maybe it's true. And what my own professional opinion, what I think she's probably done is um, she probably was losing her hair through stress and alopecia, and she's that frustrated. She's actually climbed the tree and just set her hair on fire because, as we said earlier, the mental health wasn't really... On point. Oh, bless. So maybe well, it's true. Wow. For them to live in those conditions, though, there has to have been, yeah, some level of – but you never know. It's, you know, sometimes mental health is – people who have issues with mental health comes from the circumstances that they're yes, in. It's not exactly. just something that's hereditary so they could or have something been fine. that they just have to – yeah, and their and mental health has deteriorated. Deteriorated because of the conditions that they were living in and their lifestyle. Bless exactly. their little hearts. And there's a little quote that I'm going to say from her later on that will sort of put that into perspective as well. So when she was younger, she's portrayed in the movie, the Drew Barrymore movie, as being a real free spirit and a poet. And she didn't want to just settle for any man that could look after her financially. She always found that so boring. And the men who wanted her as well were, in her words, just boring. She wanted to be free. She wanted to be an actress, and she wanted to write poetry, etc., and not be tied down as a respectable mm. wife, which her father so desperately wanted her to do. Because once she's married, he no longer has to look after her financially, mm. which that, is the that was thing in the, in the day. day. Yeah. So, yeah, so the father wanted her to marry her off so he didn't have to look after her financially anymore. And she, she was shown, and he didn't want a cuckoo. He just wanted no. to, you know, be free. Yeah. Calm down. Yeah, exactly. So at one point in the movie, she's shown to have a relationship with a married man as his bit on the side. He buys her lavish gifts, fur coats, all that stuff. Um, and she runs off at one point. So she's moved back to Grey Garden. She goes out to get some groceries for the mum, and she just decides to fuck it and drive straight to New York to go meet up with this guy that she'd been seeing. And she had, had she still kept her looks at this point? Was she still like an attractive-looking yeah. woman, even living in squalor? She still was. Well, when she takes off to New York, she's not in squalor. Like the car's still operational. The car's fucked by the time they're in squalor. There's a tree growing through it. You know what I mean? Like, so at that stage, there's still some sort of upheldness to the house, um, but not. It's starting to deteriorate. So she runs off to fucking New York to be with this guy. Um, she goes to the hotel where he's staying at and sends a message to his room and he comes down the elevator and he's furious because his wife is in the hotel room and gets a message and he's basically like, that's it, it's done and he ends it with her, which breaks her heart, sends her into a huge downward spiral. She goes back to Grey Gardens where the mother's oh, like, 
it's terrible, yeah. And the mother's like, oh, you know, I'll look after you, rah, rah. And basically that's when it's locked in. It's just the two of them in Grey Gardens, nothing else. And this is all captured in the documentary? In the TV. No, no, that's captured in the TV movie. With Drew Barrymore. Barrymore. Yeah. Right. So, the documentary... so they give another level to it. They tell yes. some of the, the yeah. backstory. Oh, exactly. I, I'm so, so excited docu- now to watch this. But the documentary covers it from after Jackie and Lee have done up the house. So after the house has been come back from disrepair, whatever, uh, the movie covers the lead up to that point and right. and the filming of the documentary as well and what happens after the documentary. But I still recommend watching the documentary first just yep. so you can appreciate the fucking standard that Drew and Jessica give. Yeah. to their characters so she is quirky she has a vision of the world that no one else around her does and she's so confident in her abilities even though they might not be what is conventionally seen as talent <laughs> she she has Sounds that like me. <laughs> confident in my abilities. She, she's she's got a different perspective of how she appears to people basically but some of the stuff she says, this is what I was saying before, so some of the stuff she says in the documentary is so profound, it's not what you would actually expect from someone who really does come across as having lost all their marbles. Yeah. So at one point in the documentary, and it's in the movie too, she says, it's very difficult to keep the line between the past and the present. You know what I mean? It's awfully difficult. And then she just walks off and closes the door. And when you think about it, like there is no set line in between when they went from their socialite life to this fucking yeah. reclusive, poverty-stricken life. There's no line. So it's hard to keep the line between the past and the present there because it's this thing that's just evolved. It's transitioned over time. And what they're used to, as you said, with mental health. So they've gone from one point and then over time, this shit's happened and you're yeah. used to stuff that happens. Yeah. You don't see I'm the change. I'm still reeling from what you were saying about her. This is an outfit for today. Okay, so we're going to do this, and we're going to put this uh, here, and we're going to wear this over this, and this is this is the kind of outfit for today, like it's that. For today, don't you think? Yeah, and you wait because I think that's at the very beginning of the documentary. It's <laughs> fucking like it's brilliant. It's so it's just intriguing. But yeah, it shows that there is no line. It was a gradual transition over time from being healthy and wealthy to fucking bone ass poor and yeah. living in absolute squalor. Yeah. You'll love this. She also walks around with a magnifying glass to read small print stuff. So, so she she, needs glasses and she she doesn't have glasses. Yeah. So she's reading a horoscope at one point and she's like reading a horoscope about this guy that's a gardener. I think she's like, oh, we would never work because blah, blah, blah. She even steps on the scales on the balcony to weigh herself and she has the magnifying glass up looking down at what the scales are saying because she can't read them. Oh, there's there's so much heart. there's so much about her that you that you love. She is super resourceful, as you said earlier, <laughs> especially with the clothes and especially with how she reads her weight. But that's also she she becomes a fashion icon. Like the shit she does, like you look at it and you're like, how the fuck like do you think to do this stuff? Like the stuff she does, yeah. she's an icon. You can't feel anything but joy when you watch her. There is something so charming about her style and her mannerisms that you also even feel protective of her. You know what I mean? Like you don't, anyone was to give her any shit, you'd be like, fucking leave her alone. Let her, she's harmless. She's having the time of her life. Yeah. In squalor, 
fuck off. <laughs> she knows who she is. <laughs> which is, is it, saying yeah. a lot. Exactly. And you, you want her to succeed and to do well. And like as a person, you're rooting for her in life, you know. Are she you perform- going to tell us how they die? I will Are get, yeah, just- yeah. Okay. Yes, right, yes. Okay. That sort of is in there. So she performs for the camera during the documentary. She does little dance routines and songs. You see her and her mum singing together, arguing, reminiscing about the old days. She gets into a strop sometimes, which is super cute, and I hate to say it, but she comes across as somewhat delusional as well. So she makes up stories about her past and how one of them is, sorry, one of the stories that she makes up from the past is how she was engaged to Joseph P. Kennedy Jr., though she only ever met him once. Oh, bless. <laughs> And during the inauguration, so a Kennedy relation, so from yes, her a big time, yes, married life, yeah, go But she met him like before JFK became president. So during the inauguration of JFK, she turns to t- to tell Joseph P. Kennedy Senior that if Joe, young Joe, hadn't hadn't died, so he died younger, I don't know what happened. She insists to his father that she would have been the first lady instead of Jackie. So there's some sort of jealousy about the fact that Jackie got this Mm -hmm. lifestyle that she always thought she was accustomed to. So once the Maisley brothers have finished the documentary and they show it to the Edies, they ask them them to attend the premiere of the movie. Big Edie refuses Oh. Um, too. She's just saying she's that's not her thing. She's a lot older at this stage. She's like but little probably, Edie would have been like, "Fuck this! I'm fucking getting out there." Exactly, and it's so big. Edie's <laughs> about eighty odd at this stage. She's like, "No, I'm I'm done." Little Edie is all about it. She's so like, how old was yeah, she? Yeah. Like sixties. So I think at this stage, little Edie was probably a late fifties. Yeah. Late fifties. So, um, she's not a youthful woman, like she's, you know, no, but she's gonna rock out her outfits. She's like, get, get me to the fucking movies. Um, in the movie, the Lifetime movie, or the HBO one, whatever it is, um, it shows Big Edie trying to discourage Little Edie from attending. So she's watched the documentary and she sees how Little Edie comes across and she's just wanting to protect Little Edie. She's like, basically, you don't see yourself the way that the world sees you, and she's worried for her. Yeah, I know. I know, but she goes and people go wild afterwards. She gets handed a bunch of roses. This is still in the movie. She gets handed, not the documentary, but in the movie, she gets handed a bunch of roses and she stood there and she just starts throwing the roses one by one <laughs> to the people in the audience, you know, which I reckon it happened. It had to have happened. Like she was just like. <laughs> She's so relatable though. That would be me. I'd be like. <laughs> My fans, they love me. Yeah, it's great. And and she and she becomes the star she always dreamed of becoming. After everything that she went through, yeah, I know, isn't it? Like after everything she went through with all the hell and all the fucking squalor and the poverty, and before the documentary was being made, she was in that house for twenty years, living with fucking cat feces and raccoon piss and and all that shit. You know what I mean? Like living through that, probably thinking, what the fuck, or just not even. But in the end, she became the star she always dreamed of. So that was in 1996. A year later, 97, 77, sorry, her mum passes away. Big Edie died. I knew you were going to say that. How did Big Edie die? Natural causes? 
Natural courses. So she would have been at that stage 80 odd. Late 80s. Yeah. So, oh. which would have hit little Edie pretty hard, I'd imagine. Of course. After living with one person for decades and then being your only real constant contact or mm. constant in your life, it would totally affect you. She stays in the house for a couple more years. And while she gets a number of offers to buy, from people to buy the place, she refuses to sell to anyone who was looking at just tearing down the house and just getting the property as per her mother's dying wishes. Oh, my God. She eventually sells the mansion in 79 to someone who, with the condition that they can't knock it down. I think it's, I don't I don't even think it's been knocked down still, actually. In my research, I found that they've done the house up and they've restored it. But mm-hmm. they've, and they've mm-hmm. even built in a basement where the crawl space was mm-hmm. by having the house put on stilts. So it still stands as it wow. was. Yeah. Good on them for doing that. I know, it's great. But so you'll love this bit too. So before she sells the house, but after her mother's death, so in that period, she's signed up to do eight cabaret shows at the Reno Sweeney, which is a Manhattan night spot. And she performs to two audiences a night. The shows are a sellout because people just adore her and the reviews are terrible. She, she probably didn't even know how to read the review. She probably didn't give any well, shit. Oh, she knows how to read. She's got a magnifying glass. Yeah. She's probably but, just yeah. like, it's all about me. Watch me. She, she would have been in an element. Well, the thing is, so the reviews are terrible, but which once she start, when she sit, not by the people who attend, but by the fucking press, the reviews are terrible. Yeah. So when you see her document, when you see the documentary and you see her performing and she has this cute little kick that she does when she's singing and her voice is like mine when I'm drunk, you know, it's like that, that type of stuff. It's like, so very manly. President and yada yada. Uh, oh. so like you have to watch the doc. It's great. Um, but it's what the people went for. They weren't going for a stellar vocal or a dance routine. They wanted to see Little Edie in the flesh and watch her doing what she loved. A New York Times article called the show a public display of ineptitude, the assholes. The club kept the bad reviews from her, though, which is lovely. So she did her eight shows. She sold out her things. She had a little swan song. She ends up living in various places throughout the US after this. She lives in Canada at one stage. She finally settles in Florida in 1997. Um, but she was then found dead in her apartment on the 14th of January 2002 at the age of 50, at the age of 84. Bless her. So they she think sold she was, the house, she got some money for it, she went on she put on a what show. she wanted to do, and she did she die happy, do you think? Yeah, I think so, because she always wanted to leave Grey Garden. She always was, well, she didn't always want to, but she'd said to her mum a couple of times, I wanted to get out of here, I wanted to move to Florida, blah, 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 like, but her mother would never do it. Her mother was yeah. that stubborn about Grey Gardens, and she was she was probably dead for a couple of days before they found her, but they think she died of a heart attack or a stroke. So, it would have been so how many years between the deaths? So how long before Little E died after Big E? Twenty. Uh, so twenty-five years. Oh, so she kicked on for twenty-five years without yes. a mum. So mum died in seventy-seven, and she died in two thousand and two. Did she ever live with anyone again, or did she just always live on her own? I, yeah, I think she was all solo. I don't think she had a partner and stuff like that. I don't think she would know how to have a relationship after yeah. all that. 
But during my research, I found that there's actually now a prequel documentary that's been released called That Summer, which was shot in 72, and I have never seen it. And you know what I'm going to be doing this weekend? (laughs) Hunting down that fucking prequel documentary. And that was Greg Harden. I have so many feels. Yeah, I (laughs) know. I feel so many things. Wait till you watch it. You'll have even more feels. She's fucking, she's hilarious. She's so great. Yeah. And then when you watch. It sounds like both women died on their own terms. Do you know what I mean? Like doing what they they loved or. It wasn't a sickness or an illness or anything that got them in the end. It was the mother died in Grey Gardens. What she wanted to do. Both very stubborn women who, you know, they're going to do what they're going to do, but um, on, yeah. always on their own terms. Wow. Mm. Very inspiring. I know. It's great. Like, I can't wait for you to now. Okay, so I'll watch Sex in the City. You know what your fucking homework is. Okay. Well, I hope you enjoyed my, um, my little uh, spiel on the Grey Gardens, and I hope that it makes people want to go out there and watch it and find out more about Little Edie and keep that, keep that bitch alive. Bino, please, I loved it. I thought it was amazing. I hope you enjoyed my Sex in the City rant. I did, and I look forward to starting my journey through the multiple seasons. And people listening, we hope you're just as equally drunk as we are. And if you're not, no judgment, but also join us and drink with us. May your bottle be always empty. (laughs) (laughs) And you be opening the second bottle. No judgment. No judgment. Hashtag no judgment. That's a new hashtag. Mm-hmm. Second bottle. Awesome. No judgment. Second <laughs> bottle. No judgment. Love it. <laughs> that needs to be our new hashtag. Yeah. Second bottle. No judgment. No judgment. No judgment. Yeah. No judgment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That stupid bitch. Mm hmm. He's a stupid bitch, what a stupid bitch, that stupid bitch.